Hello again and welcome to another episode of the Ominous Origins Podcast with me, Casey. Of course, this episode is still brought to you by the wonderful people over at MorbidlyBeautiful.com. Morbidly Beautiful is your one-stop shop for all things horror content related, from interviews, reviews, top ten lists, and of course everything in between. You know what we haven't looked at in a while? Demons. We've done aliens, we've done serial killers, we've done some cryptids. It's time to look back at some demons of our past and reminisce about how much we actually love them. Or, you know, learn about them anyway. Today we're going to do the most famous demon in history, most likely. At least in modern history. This guy does not like to be exercised. Eh, get his name's Pazuzu. You may remember that name from the movie The Exorcist. Who is he? What does he do? Was he anything like the movie counterpart? Well, let's find out right now when we look at Pazuzu. Ominous. Ominous. It is an adjective. Sounds like someone breathing. Ominous. Now we've looked at a lot of Mesopotamian, Assyrian, Babylonian gods and demons and monsters and lore in the past. And we're going to continue that today because why not? It's a very fun, interesting time period. It's in that sort of millennia where gods and religions and folklore really started to take off. And Pazuzu is no exception to that. So with that said, Pazuzu is indeed an Assyrian slash Babylonian demonic god. And that's an interesting phrasing, isn't it? Demonic god. Who is most popular in the first millennium BCE. He was the son of Hanbi, also known as Hanba, king of the demons of the underworld and brother to Humbaba, the demon god protector of the cedar forest in the epic of Gilgamesh, who is killed by the heroes. He was the demon of the underworld where all demons were, you know, thought to live in control of the west and southwest winds which brought famine during the dry season and in the rainy season tearing storms and locusts. He was the force behind the destructive winds and their threat. He was also considered the best defense against them. Almost like a fight fire with fire situation if you really really think about it. Similar in this way to the Egyptian god Set, prayers were indeed sent to Pazuzu and they were intended to divert his natural inclination towards destruction to the more benevolent ends of his protection. Since it was clear he had a great power and he was able to harm things and people and the environment with it, he was equally potent in protecting one from the very danger that it presented. Now, as we mentioned, Pazuzu is probably the most famous Mesopotamian demon in present day and likely the only one most people have ever even heard of. As scholar Stephen Bertman notes, Quote, though short on pizzazz, Pazuzu made it to Hollywood. He is the only Mesopotamian demon to have starred in a movie, The Exorcist, in 1973, and the film was based on the novel by William Peter Blatty. Pazuzu is the demon who possesses Linda Blair's character and is associated with the Christian Satan and the forces of evil. So not quite on the same plane as the movie. The movie takes some creative liberties. The name Pazuzu, I guess, sounds threatening, especially maybe in 1973. I don't know, but anyway, we're going to continue on learning about Pazuzu. Although Pazuzu was never really considered the most benevolent of supernatural beings in ancient Mesopotamia, he was certainly regarded as an evil demon. He was not evil incarnate, however, and was frequently invoked for protection from evil. 
He was particularly powerful in protecting pregnant women and children from the demon goddess Lamashtu, who preyed on the unborn and newly born babies. See, when I was thinking about doing Pazuzu this week, I'm like, have I already done Pazuzu? Is he somebody I've already covered? So I went back and I checked all my episodes and I was like, no, no, not, not recently. Maybe in an old archived episode that's lost to time because I deleted it because the audio quality was terrible. But no, that, that right there is why I remember talking about Pazuzu because I did do an episode on Lamashtu and her baby stealing ways and how Pazuzu was actually there to protect the people from this evil goddess. So I mentioned earlier the term god demon or demon god, and I was like, that's an interesting term. Remember that? That was like literally five minutes ago, if that. Now here we get into the entomology of that. The term demon in the modern day always carries with it the connotation of evil, but this was not always the case in the ancient world. Now the English word demon is a translation from the Greek word daimon, which means spirit. A daimon could be good or evil depending on its intentions and the results of its visitation. In ancient Mesopotamia, as in other cultures of the ancient world, demons were often sent by the gods as punishment for sin to remind one of one's duty to the gods and others in one's community. Demons were not always evil and even those who were, like Pazuzu, were still capable of good deeds. So back in the day, essentially, demons were not black and white, there was a lot of gray area for these guys to kind of operate in and do their, their thing. Demons, of course, played a very important role in Mesopotamia and their religions and their myths and their stories and their folklore. In the Akkadian and Babylonian myth of the Atrahasis, human beings have grown too numerous, too loud, and far too fertile. I can kind of agree with everything that was just said there. Furthermore, they live so long that more of them are being born at any given time than those who die. Again, fair, fair point. And this was old. Man, these Akkadians, they, uh, they really knew what was coming, eh? Hmm. Now, according to this myth, humans cover the earth and disturb the god of Enlil with their noise to such an extent that he decides to destroy them in a great flood. Sound familiar? Huh? Noah? Anybody? Any, anybody? We've gone over this a thousand times. Christianity just pulls from every other fucking religion in the world and sticks into one book and goes, Hey, it's new. Anyway, we're gonna just get off of that. I gotta stop saying anyway. I noticed that in my last episode, I deleted like five anyways and there's still five in there. I need a new transition word. Any suggestions, let me know. I'm open to changing that. So after the flood water subsided from Leel's little uh, temper tantrum, I guess you could say, the god of wisdom, Enki, proposes a plan to repopulate the earth. The gods will create a new kind of human with a shorter lifespan and greater threats to their lives on a daily basis. Henceforth, there will be disease, miscarriages, impotency, sterility, attacks by wild animals, and all other manners of death waiting in every single day. Thanks, Obama. I mean, Enlil. I mean, Enki. I mean, demons. Naturally, demons were a part of this divine plan and were sent to punish the wicked, test the righteous, and could even be given leave to torment someone because a certain god felt it was justified even though another disagreed. Demons who interfered with sexual intercourse and fertility were especially troublesome. The demon Samana, with his dragon's teeth, eagle talons, and scorpion's tail was a constant threat, and a Sumerian incantation against him lists how he blocks the menstruation of young girls, the potency of the young man, and the service of the courtesan and prostitute. Samana could also affect crops, livestock, and according to Bertman, 
quote, had a special appetite for infants and prostitutes, which is a very strange palate he has. They'd be like eating pickles and chocolate cake in the same sitting, in the same plate. A demon of such malice and destructive power could have been held firmly in check by the gods, and yet Samana was regarded as an agent of Gula, the goddess of health and healing, sent for many reasons mortals would have to work out for themselves. All that was clear was that one could be targeted by a god or demon for some exquisite or mundane torment at any time and for any reasons which were obviously not always clear because, as the old adage goes, God worked the mysterious ways. Mesopotamian gods work in mysterious ways as well. Moving on, scholar Gwendolyn Like notes how sexual life per se of the individual and of society at large was under a potential threat from the wrath of vengeful gods or the malice of demonic forces. Sexuality was especially targeted if one follows from the narrative of the Atrahasis, because it has to do with reproduction and population size. In targeting the sexual life of human beings, the gods could keep their communities down to a manageable size. So what does that all have to do with Pazuzu? Well, Pazuzu the protector, of course. Now, one of the best ways to protect oneself against such evil attacks was to find a protector in equally powerful demons who would stand between an individual and the wrath of the gods as a shield. Pazuzu was the most popular of these protective deities. He was mainly called upon to protect from Lamashtu from eating unborn babies and newborns, but seems to have also been involved in protecting against disease, impotency, and the ill effects of the west winds and southwest winds which blew from the direction of the land of the dead, the very winds Pazuzu himself controlled. So how does that work? He like fires the gun and then steps in front of the bullet? Sounds kind of like what is happening here. Of course, Pazuzu is imagined as an especially frightening figure capable of scaring off any lesser demon or ghost or spirit. Pazuzu is represented in statuettes and engravings with bulging eyes and a canine face, a scaly body, snake-headed penis, the talons of a large bird, and enormous wings. In the opening scene of The Exorcist, he is depicted accurately in the life-sized statue the priest looks upon in the ancient city of Hatra. In the novel, however, the author shows the priest handling a small statue of Pazuzu, not gazing upon a large figurine. This is also accurate. Although small statuettes of the demon have been found in Hatra, no full-size statues have ever been found anywhere, and it is unlikely there ever will be. Depictions of demons or deities associated with the underworld are rare because it is thought that, in creating such an image, one attracted the attention of the subject, which I guess you don't really want. It is for this reason that few images exist of Urshkigal, Queen of the Dead, and why even the famous Bernie Relief, popularly known as Queen of the Night, does not explicitly name its subject, even though it most likely depicts Urshkigal. To create an image of the Queen of the Dead would have been to call on her attention, and nobody wants that, especially if you want to live, because she's queen of the fucking dead. Pretty self-explanatory. The small statuettes and amuletic charms featuring Pazuzu have exactly the same effect. They drew Pazuzu's attention to the wearer or the room where the statuette was placed, but their diminutive size constrained their power towards protection. The individual mortal would have had nothing to fear from the demons because they were honoring him by asking for his protection, and when he came, he would turn his demonic powers on those threatening his charges, not on the individual mortal who had evoked him. 
that's pretty common, I think, in demonology and the history of demons, not to name drop this or anything, but I believe that is kind of how things work. They're evil, but they like their loyal subjects enough that they won't just immediately kill them, as long as you don't piss them off. So, put the little statue up and he'll be good to go. These small statuettes were placed primarily in children's rooms, naturally, but could have sat anywhere in the home near doorway or window. Images and figures of Pazuzu served a similar function as the Nimrud dogs. Small dog statuettes buried underneath the threshold of a building or strategically placed in a room to guard against evil spirits, demons, or ghosts. The Nimrud dogs were thought to be imbued with the spirit of actual dogs associated with Gula, who were primarily seen as protective animals. In the same way, statuettes of Pazuzu drew on the essence of the demon himself and guaranteed one's safety in their presence. Now, I just want to go over the quick evolution of demons here. Now, according to scholar Jeremy Black, demons in Mesopotamia evolved over the years from representations of threatening animals to personifications of the threat of danger and death. Black claims that Pazuzu is the ultimate expression of this evolution and provides a simplified chronology of the progression, breaking it into five different phases. 1. A formative phase, in the late Ubaid and Uruk periods, when the features of different animals were first combined into unnatural composite beings. 2. An optimistic phase, in the Akkadian period where the glyphic scenes show the capture and punishment of nefarious demons. 3. Was the balanced phase, in the old Babylonian period when the cylinder seal designs often mixed images gods, symbols, and other motifs of good and bad associations with respect to mankind. 4. A transformative phase with the Mitannian, Kaysites, and Middle Assyrian art of the 14th to 11th century BCE, when the human-centered imagery of Old Babylonian period gave way to the preponderance of animal-headed hybrids. And lastly, the demonic phase, number five, represented by Neo-Assyrian and Neo-Babylonian art, when individual demons were depicted in their full horror. The last phase of development accords well with the new theology of a demonically populated underworld in the first millennium BCE. The change happens, moreover, at the same time as the advent of the practice of erecting in palaces and temples monumental statues and reliefs of magically protective beings and of burying small clay images of them in the foundation. Of course, the evolution didn't just stop there. It continued into the Hellenistic period of Mesopotamian history and carried on to the Christian period as well. The Christians no longer had a need for protective demons and, of course, their reliance on earlier religious beliefs was discouraged by the new faith. Demons, along with the old gods, had no place in the heaven of the Christian god and so were relegated to the Christian hell. Demons were already associated with the underworld and just as it was an easy step to turn the pagan afterlife into hell of punishments, so it was to make demons agents of that eternal punishment as well as difficulties and dangers during one's life. The Gospels of the New Testament depict Jesus Christ routinely driving demons from various individuals and the Book of Acts, Revelations, and others describe demons in the service of God's adversary. Satan. In the letter of 1 John 4.1, in the New Testament, the writer admonishes his readers to test every spirit to see if it is of God and to reject it if it is not. Demons were thereafter considered only as agents of evil. 
incapable of good, save only inadvertently in serving God's overall plan. Pazuzu, an ancient Mesopotamia figure of fearsome aspect, was the perfect choice as the antagonist in The Exorcist, as the audience have been primed through almost 2,000 years of instruction to accept the ancient demon god as an instrument of evil. To the people of his day, however, Pazuzu was regarded as security and a shield against misfortunes in an uncertain and often frightening world. How did you like that? I really, really enjoyed doing this demon stuff. If I could do it every week, I would, but I would eventually run out because there's not a whole lot of information on demons out there. Of course, I have the Dictionary of Demons kicking around here, but each inscription is usually only a paragraph or so long. It's basically like a dictionary describing the word. How many pages of the dictionary focus on just a single word? Not many. So I've gone over kind of the big ones, and I could just do lists over and over and over again, but that gets a little boring. So I'm going to try to find some more interesting demon gods or... Mesopotamian demons or old school gods and kind of work them into more episodes. Really enjoy doing this stuff. It's really interesting and you get to learn about the evolution of humans, not just demons. So that's all I got for you this week. My name is Casey and this has been the Ominous Origins Podcast. If you did like what you heard, please feel free to leave a five-star rating on the mobile app on Spotify. If you do so, please let me know and I will give you a shout out. We had a couple recent ones, which was cool. Although somebody left a 4 star, I think, because it dropped from 5 to 4.9, so yeah. But that's okay, that's okay, I like your honest opinion and feedback. Or you can still leave an old-fashioned review on iTunes or Apple Podcasts. And of course, any 5 star ones will be read on the show, so it's a great way to get a shout out. Now if you do want to contact me, feel free to hit me up on any of the social medias on Twitter at HorrorShotsProd is in production, on Instagram at OminousOriginsPod, or on Facebook, where it is just absolutely booming nowadays, and that is at Horror Shots. So, until next time.